Andy, my dude, have you heard of the magical website builder known as Squarespace? Ugh, not another Squarespace ad. I feel like every podcast is sponsored by them. <laughs> hey, 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 don't knock it till you try it. Yes, okay, it is overhyped. But actually, it lives up to the hype. Squarespace is like a website fairy godmother. With a click of a button, your site transforms into a beautiful masterpiece. A website fairy godmother? That sounds interesting. What makes it so magical? Well, for starters, those slick templates make anyone look like a professional web designer. Pick one, customize the colors and fonts to match your brand, and voila. Plus, the drag-and-drop fluid engine is so easy, your grandma could build a site on Squarespace. Well, she did knit me a lovely scarf last Christmas. Maybe website design is next. Exactly. And when you're ready to sell your Nana's handmade scarves online, Squarespace has built-in e-commerce. Add a store with one click. Get flexible payment options. Then watch those sales roll in. And when she wants to teach others her steezy scarf skills, Squarespace's new courses feature is just the ticket. Nana can set up her curriculum and enrollments and payments in a snap and become the next e-knitting influencer. Wow, you really sold me with the grandma angle. Sign me up for that free try. Just go to thenextreel.com slash Squarespace and transform your site into a beautiful Squarespace masterpiece. Well, thanks, Pete. Even though it's overhyped, Squarespace actually sounds perfect for Nana's site's needs. Appreciate the warning on the ads, though. I'll brace myself next time I listen to a podcast. Anytime. Let me know if you need any help getting that site up and running. Andy, can you believe we've almost hit 700 episodes of The Next Reel? I know, it's crazy. And with all the other episodes in our family of podcasts, we are well over 1,200 episodes of movie conversation. It's really pretty amazing that we've gotten to have these in-depth movie chats every week for over a decade now. And we couldn't have done it without our loyal community of film fans. Their support over the years has meant so much. For sure. That reminds me, we should give the merch store a shout out. Buying shirts from thenextreel.com slash merch is a great way listeners can continue to support the show. Plus, they get to support our great designs. Absolutely. I think sometimes folks forget we have a variety of shirts, mugs, phone cases, and more available. In fact, a great place to start is with a shirt sporting the Next Reel's logo. We also have that classic Fast Times Spicoli Surf School tee, or the weirdly popular Rusty's European Tour shirt. The one from National Foods European Vacation. Why is that so popular? <laughs> Search me, but we have sold a ridiculous number of those. I guess there are a lot of Rusties taking trips to Europe? We're always adding new designs based on movies we've covered, like our brand new design for a streetcar named Desire, featuring a streetcar named Desire. So if you want to rep your love of TNR and films, head to thenextreel.com slash merch. Every purchase helps us continue to have these weekly in-depth conversations. So visit thenextreel.com slash merch today. And as always, thanks for listening and being a part of the Next Real community. We've got lots more great movie chats coming your way. You had no authority. None. Mexico City. What were you doing there? I was taking some overdue holiday. So what's going on, James? They say you're finished. What do you think? I think you're just getting started. This is the Next Reels Film Board, everybody. Each month, a gang of thugs gathers to take on one film currently in theaters and spoil that film rotten. This month, we're welcoming James Bond to the Next Reel catalog with Sam Mendes, second in the, in his series, Spectre. I'm Pete Wright, and making up the gang, uh, as we go around, I would like you to introduce yourselves by first stating your name and then state the James Bond henchman you would most like to have been if you had been born a James Bond henchman. JJ. Hi, Jaws, because he's uh, the most iconic of the old guys. There. You're, you're definitely a, 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 a Roger Moore 
Bondian. Uh, yeah, we're going to get into that. All right, all right, all right. Andy Nelson. I prefer my James Bond um, agency code name of V. <laughs> I think that you have just changed the rules of the game, Mr. Nelson. You did one does not change the rules of the j- game. In this operation, my friend, you are number two and I am number one. <gasps> Oh, 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 he just threw down. Uh, Chad Stoops, welcome back to hey. the show. It's been too long. Yeah. So villains, see, this is going to be hard because um, I always liked, just because I thought it was fun, not as far as intelligence-wise, but I liked Jaws. I just liked it when I was a kid watching Jaws. Mm-hmm. His teeth, I don't know what it was. I thought it was just fun that... that it was Octopus, I believe, right? Or was that... Uh, no, he was in uh, Space, the uh, Space one, right? He was in Moonraker. He was, he was in a couple. He was in two. He was in a couple, right? He was yeah. in Octopus, too. Uh, right. Yes. But I, I just thought this was fascinating. Not like he was the smartest. It was just fun watching him. But... And I'll probably talk about this more, but the really... I I want to say that I like Oberhauser. I like Christoph Waltz. I would have liked him as the villain he was in... The um, Inglorious Bastards. Well, but he's not one. a henchman. Oh, he's, it's gotta be he's henchman. not a henchman. Oh, sorry, just henchman. He's a I'm... villain. He is number okay. one. Number one. So we're talking about just henchmen. Just the henchmen. All right. So you, you, and we've got two, double jaws. For me, yes. I can beat Grace Jones if that helps. <laughs> <laughs> that actually does help. Thank you. <laughs> hmm. I would be uh, absolutely hands down, no question. Odd job played by Harold Sakata. Uh, he, he didn't. He didn't. Didn't die uh, well with dignity. Electrocution is a tough one. Oh yeah. But my goodness, that hat, that hat, and that that nobility. He's the best in the video game. Too. He's great. Yeah, I think Jaws handled electrocution better. Oh, you know, you're right. <laughs> that was he also good. Had, that was the Moonraker thing, right? He took it in the mouth. Yes. I think that was in Spy uh, Who Loved Me when he's in the train. Oh, you're right. Oh, he gets the, the broken now, uh, light. In the- Here's the question. Which death came first? Jaws 2, the actual shark? (laughs) (laughs) Who stole from who? (laughs) Oh, my goodness. That was Jaws 3, wasn't it? Jaws 3, 3. That was the one where he chased him around the world, right? The shark? We are so off topic. Hey, listen, before we get into the film, you should definitely learn more about us at thenextreel.com slash film board. Subscribe for free on iTunes or follow us on Twitter and Facebook at The Next Reel. And be sure to join us over at instagram.com slash the next reel and play our Instagram hashtag pony prize hashtag guess the movie challenge contest going on weekly. Oh my goodness, the basket of prizes, it doth grow. There is some great stuff and some really useless stuff in the basket. (laughs) <laughs> I can't wait for the unveiling. I just can't wait. We like having the mix. Uh, okay, you guys, James Bond. I was very much looking forward uh, to this film. Uh, I I was excited about it. Uh, I felt like I it, that that Daniel Craig has redeemed himself in my eyes from some of those first early out of context quotes about his his role in and his excitement and enthusiasm about the role. I really liked what I was hearing from Sam Mendes as the pressure built, and my goodness, this thing was just spanking it in the UK over its last week of, or 10 days of release there. The reviews, however, here have been wild, wildly mixed. Let's go around and give our brief uh, introduction. What did you think about the film, just briefly, as you walked out of it? I felt like it was a really long commercial for a perfume that I did not did not know what perfume it was. So you loved it. it. <laughs> but I loved it. That's not saying anything about whether I liked it or not. I'm just saying. I just Everything felt like that. If I could say anything, it just felt like all the acting, everything in this particular film, felt like it was an advertisement for either cologne or perfume. And I, I was like waiting for it to be the reveal and never did. I really enjoy James Bond movies um, in general, even the bad ones. I can very easily sit down and watch all of them. And I definitely enjoyed watching this one. I had a great time watching it. um, And I certainly will end up having it because I have the whole collection and I enjoy putting them on. Um, But um, I I do have problems with it. I I definitely have some big problems with it. But that's not going to stop me from still enjoying it. Yeah, I think uh, I want to follow up with Andy there saying it's, you know, it's long enough to love it and have problems with it. I think that's mm-hmm. kind of the thing that I had. I think walking out of the theater, my quick answer to your question, Pete, is I was a thumb, I am a thumbs up. It's classic and enormous and is loaded with 
fun eye candy and has a story <laughs> that I, I just don't care about. I think I'm I'm probably right there with you. Although I have to say, I, of the series, and and I'll, when I say series, I think I'm referring to um, you know the the Daniel Craig series. Uh, I really liked this one a lot. I really did. And yet the things that I have a problem with made me so mad. Yep. I'm just really mad and a little bit bitter. Yep. Uh, and that is that is a frustrating kind of aftertaste because generally I was really excited about the movie. And I, I the things that I was most, uh, most frustrated about going into the movie, the things that I was most nervous about, uh, did not play out the way that I, that I expected, that I had thought they would play out. Uh, I didn't get a lot of the cheap... Uh, any of the cheapness that I had sort of anticipated based on what I think was not a great trailer. And so ultimately, I, I really enjoyed the experience uh, of it. So, okay, let's get a little bit more specific then. Um, Andy, you want to talk a little bit about your thoughts on the story? Well, I think that's uh, really where a lot of the problems lie. I mean, I, I'm thrilled that they brought <laughs> Spectre back into the story. I'm thrilled they were able to, uh, dealing with uh, the lawsuits that they've had um, to deal with as far as the rights um, because of how Thunderball ended up getting tied up um, way back in the day and Spectre was kind of tied into that whole thing and so it really wasn't until I think it was just a couple of years ago that uh, MGM and um, Kevin McClory actually finally settled this whole issue um, so that uh, we, they so MGM could have full copyright of all these characters, Blofeld, Spectre all of that stuff. So it's great that Finally, they were able to actually integrate it back in. I liked how they did kind of try tying it together with the other films in Daniel Craig's Bond oeuvre, if we'd like to call it that. Um, but I think the, the problems are, I think they, they tried to do something um, interesting and original as far as the backstory with Bond and Blofeld. Um, however, by doing so, they, they killed everything in the film, I felt, that was integral to the Spectre element of the story. It's called Spectre. You've got this master organization that is doing all of these things over the last three films and this film, um, but you get to it in this film and all of a sudden it turns into this this uh, this character story between these two guys and uh, you kind of drop everything else. And so I think that's, for me, the biggest issue with the story is is we lost everything having to do with Spectre. And the reason why I said that it was a long commercial for Cologne, I wanted to make it really general like that because basically it's not that I didn't, I hate the movie. It's that there were many, and I think what, you know, Andy actually, and Justin actually said it too. It's, it's you overall, the, the plot and the reasons why you're watching, Andy just said it too, make it very difficult to, uh, to say, I love this film. When you're looking at something like Mission Impossible, you know, Rogue Nation. You look at something like that where every kind of scene and thing is filled and keeps keeps you there. And it's not just a lot of um, grand, because uh, it is eye candy. You're looking at a lot of grand visual scapes and there's a lot of backdrops and stuff. It just didn't seem like they used those. Like you look at something like Mission Impossible, everything's used. Everything's everything's tied to the story. People are, are, are pushed or, or pulled into, you know, the characters are brought to that place and they use... All of it. I felt like there was a lot of space. There's a lot of beauty, but then it's not. The story doesn't necessarily lend itself to, to those places and, and things and, and use them to the capacity they can. And I think that's why watching the film, you're seeing a lot of a lot of grandiosity, but not a lot of story. You know, I think what really let me down is is I'm talking you know earlier about Christoph Waltz. What a great great talent. I mean, you wait to see this guy be the bad guy. You wait to see him be bad. You love it because he plays such a great bad guy. And I'm waiting to see him, waiting to see him. And then when he comes on, he's just not on enough. And uh, he wasn't, to me, on enough. He wasn't there enough, you know, um, from my liking. And the times that he was there, he did a great job. But, uh, again, I think those are my big qualms. It wasn't – they didn't use the title they didn't use the 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 scenery and the, the the space enough, and it wasn't. It didn't feel like it had, like, uh, in relating again, I guess, to, to Mission Impossible, something that's the closest I can relate to. They didn't use it to its capacity. They didn't fill the plot and the story with the area that they were using. And so I saw a lot of grandiosity, 
but not a lot of story. It's really interesting because those grand set pieces that they took a lot of time to show us, and then they, it looked like they were trying to have impact with the story. They were pointing more to that thing that Andy was talking about, about that character drama that they tried to write in there between Blofeld and Bond. Mm-hmm. And I just feel, I mean, I don't want to speak for everyone, but in terms of what makes Bond great, the character drama is, for me, that's not what it is. So you get that big, the scene that I want to bring up is that the, the asteroid scene where they spend all this time making this really tense and beautiful and heavy thing and it matters not at all to anyone other than the metaphor of what's written in the script. And, it, you know, and it's about, and they're having this, this really intricate thing about the way that I was brought up and the way that we, you know, and it's just like, it just doesn't really matter. And it's not what I love about Bond. So uh, that was a miss for me. And I think there was a lot of that, that grandiosity that, uh, that Chad's talking about, you know, kind of plugging into that character drama that just isn't a very good story to me. Um, and I wanted more of the other fun stuff. So that's kind of where I was left. You know who, who the, the asteroid scene, you know who that really mattered to? Who? Uh, Samir Ansari, who was the lighting technical director for the <laughs> film Spectre. Um, because it was, beautiful. I, I, it, go, it was gorgeous. The lighting was, was really very nice. And I say that only moderately flippantly because I totally agree with you. It didn't actually end up really mattering to Blofeld either. Like it no, was, right. he left. He okay. He was, uh, how about a dip in the pool? You know, I mean, it was it was just really ridiculous. Okay, uh, next room. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. Next room. That's right. Uh, now everybody, take your shirts off. Uh, it was it was really uh, it was really uh, ridiculous. I um, that that whole sequence in the desert. The whole what was the purpose of going to the desert in the first place was to show James a server farm. Um, I, I didn't, I didn't get that. That, that didn't end up being a meaningful lair. And what I do think they did really well, though, and, I, and it's been years since I, I read the book, um, the initial, the, the book where, where Spectre was, um, you know, originally, uh, brought to four was, was Thunderball, um, is, if, if memory serves. And I think they did do a good job of introducing, uh, you know the organization, the organization, and as how it is met up. That meeting I thought was really cool, and and I loved the 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 little mysterious. Um, you know, uh, Christoph Waltz can't actually speak out loud, and so he always has people come to him and they whisper to each other. I thought that was really cool, and they that they built some great intensity there. Um, that he knew James was there uh, was a, a little bit. Uh, far afield for me, but but I love the reference to cuckoo, cuckoo, and Andy. That made me think of yes, uh, I obviously. Know. <laughs> uh, uh, Aren't the, you glad that you knew I what am cuckoo bird did? Oh, so <laughs> glad! If I didn't, then I certainly would now. Uh, that was really a, kind of a terrifying little moment. I I really enjoyed it. That introduction, I thought that was great. Uh, the things that made me mad, though, the thing that made me the most angry in the film, and I I, I know this is a partisan thing to say. It's when he did the Khan name release. Yep. Uh, it that pushed me, pushed every button. They didn't need to do that. They there was no need to have the mysterious Oberhauser to. Oh, they don't. I don't go by Oberhauser anymore. Uh, oh, bum, I'm Blofeld, you know, I just, I felt like that, that we didn't, we didn't need that. It was a bridge too far in the melodrama. And, uh, and I don't think anybody really, you know, would, would have been worse for wear if he'd just been Ernst Blofeld from the beginning. That could have been fine. Uh, the whole thing's a damn reboot. Like, it, you know, the whole f- series of four Daniel Craig films have been, you know, origin stories. Why does this one have to be that kind of cheeky? I, I did not like that at all. Well, it only tied in. I mean, it tied in specifically with the story as far as him and Bond, and Bond having grown up together. Yeah, that's the only reason that it actually makes sense. But I agree with you. It was it was kind of a nonsensical reveal. It was. It was a pointless reveal. So that that was the that was the thing that made me the most frustrated. The second was, with the exception of maybe Jonathan Price, I don't think an arch villain should be able to get away with wearing loafers without <laughs> socks. That was just ridiculous. <laughs> Ridiculous! You hated. That. I hated it so much. It's so funny. Uh, it, it, when he was in the dentist's cuckoo. office, that cuckoo, cuckoo, look at my ankles. That's not a thing that you do anymore. That's not a thing you do, even if you're Christoph Waltz, Jonathan Price, maybe, and I think maybe he did in Tomorrow Never Dies. But I, I wasn't uh, as attuned to ankles uh, then as I am. <laughs> The script uh, screenplay is by, uh, let's see, gosh, this is another one with a lot of credits. John Logan, Neil Purvis, Robert Wade, Jez Butterworth, uh, and um, 
story, uh, John Logan, Neil Purvis, Robert Wade, obviously characters by Ian Fleming. John Logan, we know for uh, uh, Last Samurai and uh, Gladiator and Rango and obviously Skyfall has been a part of it. Uh, I don't think he was a part of anything prior to that. But he also wrote The Aviator and Sweeney Todd. I mean, these are films that we're we're fans of around here. I mean, I, I do like that they have been working to integrate M and Q and Money Penny into the story more. I mean, I did always like kind of the way that those scenes played out in the old Bonds. But I, I have enjoyed seeing them kind of out in the field a little more. I, I think that is kind of fun, um, even if it's just for short scenes. I think it's just a, a nice touch to have. Um, plus, uh, I'm never remember his name but the uh the guy who is uh uh m's assistant in in all of these films thus far tanner is that yes, his name tanner. tanner yeah he's just fantastic it's always great seeing him as well um i enjoyed i enjoyed um to a certain extent i enjoyed the bond women uh monica bellucci i really felt was underused i really would have liked her being in it a little more and uh leia Seydoux, uh, you know, I, I think that she's great. I think she's interesting in this film. Um, I enjoyed the fact that they didn't feel that they needed to write her as just kind of a typical Bond girl who needed saving. I felt like there was actually a little more interesting uh, angle with this one where she kind of had some of the cards. And um, uh, yeah, so I mean, to that extent, I enjoyed how they worked with these characters a little more. If we're going into characters, um, you know, I think we were talking a little bit about dialogue. I, I particularly disliked uh, C, Andrew Scott's character. Yes. I didn't. I thought it was really thin, and it it, it kind of leads me from dialogue into that, where I I feel like the the dialogue anytime he was on screen was really weak. Uh, particularly anything that was done in the offices or when they were walking. That's pretty much everything he had. So I it, I just I didn't get it. I thought he was. I, I was hoping he was something more, and he just turned out to be nothing. Really, to the story, his uh, his death was terrible. It was weak. I I, I don't know. So it, it, in talking about dialogue, he when he was playing off of M C and M together was always a terrible scene for me. Um, and uh, you know those extra pieces to the whole double O M I five M I six mixes thing like that. I don't think they worked very well, and that could have been the writing. Um, in some of the cases, I think it was because people like uh, Andrew Scott just kind of fell short for me there. And that's a, that's a little bit unfortunate, don't you think? I mean, I'm a big fan of Andrew Scott. I I walked out, the first thing I said, and I'm I'm not sure that that um, um, that this is as big a property, certainly not as big a property as Bond, but if you're a fan of BBC's Sherlock, probably don't cast the guy who plays Jim Moriarty right. as the bad guy in your movie. Like, there's no surprise there. There's right. there's no there's no stunning reveal. Of course, he was from the moment he walked into the office, he was going to be uh, a bad guy. And as a bad guy, I'm with you, JJ. He's pretty anemic. Um, right. I think to me, structure it, it's a structural problem because they set up. Uh, we already know who the biggest of the bads is, right? Uh, we know that we already have um, Blofeld, and we know Blofeld's henchman, right? We've we've got yep. um, uh, Dave Bautista as Hinks. Um, and they had the great car chase. That was fine. Um, but those were already set up to be the biggest of the bads. And then we had to go back and deal with C, who ended up being sort of a minion. He was like a sales guy uh, who made a bad decision. <clears throat> Yeah. And I thought that was really unfortunately because it made his death, even if his death, you know, even if you'd bought into the fact that his death was something really dramatic, which I, I didn't. I mean, he fell. Um, <laughs> even if you thought that was dramatic, um, you did, it didn't feel very dramatic because you didn't really care right. that, that he was gone. You didn't really root for it. It wasn't a, a point of excitement. He didn't seem smart or interesting or mysterious or anything. Yeah. And then he was gone. And going back to story, as far as his element is concerned, it really was an element that we already dealt with in Skyfall that felt wrapped up in yeah. Skyfall. That's really interesting, Andy, to that to your point that we we had dealt with that in Skyfall and yet on the the other side of that very same coin, I actually found myself really enjoying the fact that this ended up being a film that that introduced the connect the connectivity between the three prior movies. I really liked that element. I liked that we now know how those pieces are connected, even if loosely. I think they have a lot to work with going forward, and so I thought that was great. Now you're going to Leia to do. I just I I don't know how you guys seem to really like her. I just felt like she did not do she did not do anything for me as a Bond girl. She felt like she was going to be strong. She was going to be 
something. And it, her being there did not leave me going, oh, okay, as a memorable thing. I don't think she did not leave anything into me to go, oh, wow, there, this performance as a Bond girl really stood out to me. Monica was underused, completely underused. And then I felt like the, uh, the, girl, the girl in the beginning. Oh, it's some mystery girl that he never, we mystery, never, come we back never to, go yeah. back to her. And he says, that's the last thing he says to her. I'll be right back. And then. Well, that was in character. You know, I mean, that was, I actually, I, we should talk about that opening sequence. That's getting a lot of talk. Uh, as the big open, it's like, what it is, it a four and a half minute tracking shot through the Day of the Dead uh, parade. And um, I, I thought it was quite lovely. I loved, I loved the opening. I agree with Chad. I Going back to just old school Bond stuff, I really wanted to see him, and this sounds so terrible, but I just wanted that <laughs> moment where it ended with him like getting into bed with her. Right. <laughs> and that led us into kind of the opening title sequence. It just felt like I wanted that closure in a Bond movie. Isn't that sad? I wanted that too. <laughs> I wanted her to get in bed with a girl. Like, I, I was like, that's what happens. That's what James Bond does. He's a slut. This is a guy slut. I, uh, you know, I, I didn't have quite that problem. I do still kind of have the the challenge of the that we don't end on a love scene. You know, there were the the Roger Moore era in particular, right? Uh, oh yeah. You know that that was big on ending on love scenes, and M would have to be there watching it. Uh, right. But Bond yeah. doesn't care. He's an exhibitionist. But this and. <laughs> <laughs> This group of movies, this group of yes. the Daniel Craig movies, are too serious for that. I mean, yes. honestly, you know, it, it, one of the things that uh, is interesting for me, I know we've brought up Mission Impossible and a couple other things in this. A movie that I recently watched that you guys reviewed before I joined the thugs was uh, Kingsman. Yes. And I think um, I got a lot of feelings uh, similar to I, to what I had when I watched Kingsman. But I think Kingsman was, it was really kind of special in the fact that it connected everything in a story that was directly related, where you have these kind of two stories alongside each other in this one that never seemed to jump over to each other. So you guys are talking about some of the novelty that came up with Roger Moore Bond. And everybody, we feel like we have to apologize that we like that. But that is, you know, we talked about it a little bit at the beginning. That is my favorite Bond. I like the junky jokey stuff i think that's the fun stuff and i remember i was a kid when those movies were out so that it might be a timely thing and i think a lot of people uh, you know they rip on those movies and they say well that's not bond and unfortunately i i really identify with that bond i want the love scene there i wanted the punctuation at the end of that amazing first scene to have him get the girl i agree with you guys that is the bond that i love and i miss this is really serious and that first shot is really special but it's a different kind of special than the bond that I grew up with. So that it's a, it's, it, it, you know, it goes with the thing. I walked out with a thumbs up, but it also with some things in the story that I, that I missed. But I will say they did some great throwbacks to some old bond movies. Like speaking of, uh, you know, the opening sequence here with the great helicopter. I mean, it's fantastic helicopter stunt that they do here, which had a nice, uh, a nice reminiscence to, although it was much tamer. What was it? Was it for your, for your eyes only the one with the opening with the helicopter and Roger Moore? I think so. Yeah. With, yeah. with, Blofeld actually yeah. in the wheelchair. That was yeah. a really fun open. Uh, we've got the great open, or we've got the great uh, ski scene up at the top of the the ski uh, lodge there, which was reminiscent of Honor Majesty's Secret Service. There was a lot of actually nice, nice throwbacks to some of the old bonds. So yes, it's, it is a totally different bond. But I actually really appreciated that they were putting some elements into this one that did make me feel like oh, we are really connected in this world still. Yeah, that was the classic nature of it for me. I, I agree with that. That was a positive. I think so, too. And I think that, that, you know, when you talk about the big set pieces, right, the big action set pieces, we have a couple of, of flying set pieces. There's the helicopter, and then there's the uh, the thing I was most nervous about going into the film was the set piece with him flying the helicopter down on the uh, the snow snowy road. Um, the the- Plane. Yeah, the plane. Right. Sorry, the plane where the wings come off. And, and that was only uh, moderately disconcerting to me in, in, in hindsight. It was fine. Um, but it didn't feel very Daniel Craig Bond. It felt it felt a little bit more Roger Moore Bond. And I don't know that Daniel Craig pulls off Roger Moore Bond all that well. 
and and I think that's the problem I have with it is that inconsistency uh, between you know trying to make Daniel Craig a Bond that he's not. Um, I I really actually liked the car stuff. You know when he got in the car, I thought I expected there to be more gadgets out of the car, and <laughs> uh, and it turns out there there weren't so many, and the ones that he did have didn't work. I thought the fire coming out of the tailpipe uh, was really stupid. Oh, it was God. so stupid. <laughs> uh, it was really, it was exactly, it was groan-inducing. Um, but but the ejector seat was fine. I actually thought that was that was fine and classy, and he lands and, and the, presses the button, and it goes away and falls off, and he's in his suit, and everything's great. Um, that That was okay. Uh, but generally, the gadgets, I think they, they played at a, at a, a little bit modest uh, with the gadgets, and I'm okay with that. Um, I thought Ben Whitshaw was, Whitshaw was great uh, as Q, uh, and I'm, I'm with you, Andy. I think you said just how exciting it is to see these characters get some more play of M and, or Moneypenny and Q, uh, and I hope they stick with it. Well, I wish they would have used Q more in a way that really would have been more helpful. I think I wanted him to see him use Q in a way that was using more of his gadgets with him or something. I, I, I guess I would, you know, you said like it was okay, the minimal amount of gadgets. And I guess I, I, at first I thought like, you know, cause with Skyfall, it felt like with Judy Dench and, and him when, you know, they did that whole home alone ending, you know, where they're like, you know, we're going to make this house really difficult for them to go through. And, you know, yeah, right. right. Yeah. And it was just, it was very, I don't know. I, but but you know, and I get it. It was but it was kind of creative. I mean, they were they were using that. And I thought maybe that's the direction they're going this way again. You know, now too, where how many different ways are going to use this watch? It only does one thing, and what is it? And that would have been kind of cool because that seems like Daniel Craig to me now. He seems like this raw, gritty guy, and yeah. it's it, it's interesting. That's what makes him kind of. That but that, that was him. Above. That was him from day one, from the opening right. scene of Casino Royale. He right. taught us, "I'm going to not be the Bond you expect." Right, and I thought that they were going to use more of that. That's why this fire thing really made me angry because I'm like, "You're going to do just that, and then that's it with that car. You're going to fire, fart fire out the back, guns that don't work, and then you're going to shoot him out of the car." I, I just didn't like the fact that he wasn't being that James Bond that we saw in Casino. Yeah, I missed the gadgets, but in those scenes, and I don't mean to say but, but they were all shot really, really beautifully. Um, extremely exciting. Um, if, to the helicopter scene and, and the one that led into the helicopter scene and mm-hmm. the, the, we brought up the cars, we brought up the, uh, the snow, all the big set pieces were gorgeous. And so much so that the action, there's something about the Daniel Craig Bonds, and this might be a Sam Mendes thing, this might be uh, just uh, going with the way these are written, but they really personalize the action in a really special way. I felt like I was with him all throughout, and I thought that was really neat. Um, uh, in all of his fights, in especially that in the in the end of the first scene when the buildings are coming down, you're taking it with Bond, which is it's been done in his in his in the Daniel Craig Bonds uh, quite a bit. Uh, even in uh, Casino Royale and Quantum of Solace, you always feel like you're living the action with him. And I think that, again, from an action movie standpoint, it's really special. I just don't think it's that special of a Bond movie. Yeah, I, you know, as Andy brought up the the uh, for your eyes only. Uh, a, a helicopter sequence, and that that you really don't get that same feeling even up to the moment where he drops Blofeld into the smokestack. You know, I mean, you you mm-hmm. don't get that feeling of I'm in this helicopter with you, uh, like you do in in this film, which I think was was really nice. Uh, but for me, uh, I guess to your point, the film ends as anemically as any Bond movie has ever ended for me. I mm. had I was. I, I just was gritting my teeth through the. I don't know what I wanted. You mean at the final climax? The final or the climax mm-hmm. when he walks up to Blofeld and right. runs. Blofeld is dragging his limp leg across the the bridge underneath Big Ben to nowhere. To nowhere. Where Where is he going? Nobody knows where he's going. He's try, throwing himself in the water. I guess whatever. Every surrounded and Bond runs up to him. He's the first one on the scene. And he he uh, points the the gun down and at him, and then you know ejects the cartridge out of the out of the gun and says, "No more bullets." I found myself saying, "That is not that's not a Bond ending. That you've just changed Bond is what you've done." It feels like you've just changed who Bond was in a way that that I found unpalatable. I mean, it it, it obviously tied in with the script as they wrote it. Yes, because we had that uh, the line of dialogue that M says earlier. Yep, about you know license to kill also is. You know, means license, license not to. to know when and, not to. Yeah. And we have the whole uh, Leah Sadu story about the guns, 
you know, yeah. taking the ejecting. It was it was absolutely true to how they wrote it. So in that context, yeah, it totally fits the script. But, but it, did you like it? I mean, did you anybody like the ending? I, I got what they were saying, but I don't feel like it was perp- It didn't fulfill the purpose of, like you said, like Bond. They were trying to be gritty and they were trying to fulfill the dialogue, but it didn't. It left you empty. It's like a gust of wind was. You could hear wind. I, I felt like I could hear the air going. What was? What was the point of that? That's how I felt. It wasn't yeah. give. It didn't give the ending of a gritty Bond in Casino Royale and Quantum of Solace. You you end both those movies with. Uh, with oh, oh what's next what's exciting there's something exciting is coming next mm-hmm. and then you look at the end of skyfall and you in the end of this one and it's kind of like are they trying to wrap up this chapter of bond is there something is the story about why it's not okay to be bond because we talk about these conventions that they've put into the script that they're wrapping up with those lines about the guns about the license to kill and all that stuff you kind of get the sense that maybe it's time for bond to not be bond anymore i i don't understand why we're going that route and i don't think with this particular franchise, which is so now it, it's in the thread of what we know about spy movies and what we know about this type of film. It, I don't think we need to do that. Um, it, it, it seems like it seems like a little bit of uh, missing self-awareness to say uh, we need to create this additional drama to the James Bond story because that that story is not important to me either. I want more of the novelty of James Bond. And if he's going to be a bulldog, then that can be Daniel Craig's bond, but he should still just be that weapon. I, I don't know. That's that's how I feel about it. JJ, is there something to this idea of of how of how they're choosing to serialize Bond versus the the you know their the older Bond kind of before the Daniel Craig Bond? It was much less of a series than it is now. It was much more a serial, right? Every every right. movie was the same sort of character set of characters. Uh, but played out a very different story. Some of them tied together somehow, but it was really loose. And now these last four movies are now tied up as, uh, you know, as a series of films. And so we have more of an expectation that that we are getting uh, the next chapter in these people's lives. And I think that that really changes our expectation of what Bond is. And is that, uh, you know, is it good or bad? Well, Pete, you mentioned before that you liked that. You liked the connectivity between these Daniel Craig ones. And I, and I will say for me, it almost got me a little bit uh, disoriented in the way that if you like take away that take like how Tommy approaches science fiction or the Harry Potter franchise, all of a sudden there's all these names that I'm like, I know I should know who Le Chiffre is or all these things. And you think about the imagery of the specter and the, and the octopus and the different legs and stuff. And I, I found myself wondering or trying to remember things. And I, that's not what I love about Bond. So I think you, your question is is important here because you take a look at what's happening in franchises of films in the last X amount of years and how that's the way that we try to create things in the the marketplace now where, the for me, the beauty of Bond before that, the pre-Daniel Craig Bonds, was that they were somewhat of a procedural in the idea of a spy film and and that's what I prefer in my media. So, so for me, the connection, the serialization of what's going on with the Daniel Craig Bonds is not a good thing. But I think there are people out there that enjoy it. And I think there is a bit of leaving uh, the audience with what do we do next, the next chapter, like you mentioned in these people's lives. I think they're doing that on purpose to create that new Bond fan. It's just, it doesn't hit with me, but I'm sure it hits with lots of people out there. But Justin, well, do you think that's obvious? I don't. I, I, I didn't. I didn't. I mean, you're bringing, you're bringing, you're bringing, you're bringing, you're bringing up a really good point, point but I'm, I've never even thought about that. It was something that I didn't catch really until probably at the end of Skyfall. I didn't know they were going to come back with this. And then all of a sudden everything is being pulled together. And, and again, it's just something that's, uh, it's contrary to what I look for in a Bond film. Well, it's kind of been growing that way because even Quantum of Solace only ended up as, I mean, we talked about it ages ago on the show, Pete, mm-hmm. but it only ended up being a sequel to, uh, like, it's such a direct sequel to uh, Casino Royale because of the writer's strike. And all of a sudden, because all the writers were on strike, Daniel Craig and the director really had to kind of come up with the story on their own. And so they ended up coming up with something that ended up being more of a sequel which may have kind of pushed them into the direction of kind of creating this this overarching kind of story that is now spread across these four films. The thing I like about James Bond is that it is constantly shifting. It, every Bond feels slightly different from the previous one. And the thing that I 
feel is I, I'm not too worried about where it's going to go after Daniel Craig because I feel like, you know, Barbara Broccoli and uh, Michael Wilson, whoever it is who's helming the next Bond or, and who is the next Bond, they're going to find a new kind of direction for that particular Bond that is going to work for the time. I think they have really found a way to always tap into kind of what kind of the the cinematic zeitgeist is and work within those parameters. And I like that about that. I think each of the Bonds has something that has uh, worked well for its time, and I really enjoy kind of going through all of them. And I think Daniel Craig's works well for me too, and I uh, yet knowing that it is vastly different from some of the ones uh, that came before. So whoever it is who ends up becoming Bond after this, and uh, Daniel Craig theoretically does have one more under contract, although he's saying he doesn't want to do it anymore. So we'll see if there is another one after this or not. But regardless, whoever's after him, I think it's going to be another interesting spin on James Bond, and I don't know if those people are going to feel like they have to now connect it to this Daniel Craig universe. I think they're not. I mean, based on the the names that have been tossed around, I think it's going to be a, a full restart, and I think that's okay. Um, you bring up an interesting point, Andy, in that it, we talk about how each James Bond feels a little different, and I love the Daniel Craig James Bonds too. It, they just don't feel like the others in that these don't feel particularly different from each other for me. Whereas if you talk about the um, the Pierce Brosnan ones, they all feel different. Um, so the fact that this feels serialized to me is is just it's a different thing. And for me, it's a it's a net negative. But I think in the in the general realm, I, I don't think that's the way that the majority of people feel. I think most people think it's a positive. Roger Moore, all of Roger Moore's movies. He did the most, obviously, of any Bond. I think seven Bond films. They were directed by three guys. Interesting. Right? Guy Hamilton, uh, Lewis Gilbert, and John Glenn. John Glenn also directed both of Timothy Dalton's films. So now you have some carryover between Moore and Dalton. Uh, Sean Connery had five directors. uh, That includes, uh, let's see, Terrence Young did Dr. No and From Russia with Love, and then Guy Hamilton. uh, Oh, Terrence Young was back for Thunderball, and Lewis Gilbert uh, that was his first one in 1967 for You Only Live Twice. So he actually came back to direct Roger Moore. Guy Hamilton came back to direct Sean Connery in Diamonds Are Forever and then the first two Roger Moore movies. So it's a, it's, it's a few guys, but really, you know, the same kind of brain trust directing. Since then, we've had Martin Campbell, uh, Roger Spottiswood, uh, Michael Apted, Lee Tamahori, Michael Campbell, Mark Forster, and Sam Mendes for the last two, but a different Bond director for every Pierce Brosnan movie and um, three for the last four Daniel Craigs. Is that something that you're sort of referring to here? I mean, the way the kind of directorial vision is is shaped out? Uh, When I go back and watch Roger Moore movies— uh, I have a very distinct feeling of what is a Roger Moore movie, uh, and uh, I have less of a sense of that uh, when you're looking at sort of the visual style uh, of the film, the execution of the film uh, in the more recent films. How does director play into uh, execution of the serialization of Bond? At least what they were trying to do with Daniel Craig, I felt like, was develop him from this gritty rock, uh, crazy, not crazy, but just this, he doesn't have the suaveness and sort of build him into the suaveness, which he's kind of building into. Like, I feel he's the only guy that's kind of changed if any of those characters has. Now, I don't know. That's character. That's character right there. And But that is built into the script. But the stories don't seem to be lining up. I, I don't feel that. Like, they're trying to mold like I thought they were going to do, mold him into the Bond. Because I thought Daniel Craig's character was the pre-Bond, right? What happened? How did he become the suave, debonair, Roger Moore Bond? That's, that's what I thought these whole series was about. And it felt like the first one definitely showed that. The second one, okay, we're moving along. And then the third, are we, it just seemed like we forgot about that whole idea. But he is changing. He's the only Roger, or he's the only James Bond I've seen do that. So that is character. I think the interesting thing that goes with that is the idea of the through line. And I didn't know that uh, that in, that bit about the uh, the strike, Andy, that you mentioned. Um, but my and so without knowing that, I had the sense that these four were written with a through line idea, and I never got the sense that that was happening with any of the others. Um, so what, while that might my feeling about it may not be accurate based on what you're saying, but uh, but I, I got that sense from watching it for sure. Well, and you know, I mean, let's be honest. I mean, 
people take what they get out of the movie really i mean i don't i think you know there's a smaller group of people who actually look at the backstory of the production of the film and why a film ended up being the way it was right. i think most people are just going to take the film at face value and really i mean that's what we have to look at so when you look at all four of them i do think you're right i do think their feel does have that sense with these four films chad i i, I liked kind of what you were saying and i i had kind of I think I had kind of um, lost touch with that a little bit as well as far as how these uh, Daniel Craig films were kind of pre-Bond. And I liked how in Skyfall, it really felt like, oh, wow, now we've really kind of set up the actual system here. We've got Money Penny, we've got M in there, the new M. Like everything all of a sudden felt like it was falling into place. And to that end, it would have been really interesting if Inspector, uh, we did end up like giving us that ending where it was like him uh, with the Bond girl in the bed. And it actually all of a sudden felt like, <laughs> uh, hey, we've gone back to creating this Bond. iconic James yeah. Bond character. Now this right. is Bond. That is, that is, I think that's great. And I actually, in that respect, I like what they have done. And, I, and again, JJ called me out. I am, I am in favor of the, of the through line. I actually like it better. I think it's an evolution of the series uh, that that is for me an improvement. Even though I too am a child of of late Sean Connery, early Roger Moore, um, I uh, this one was uh, uh, Daniel Craig is quickly becoming my favorite Bond. I, wow. I said it out loud, and and I'll stand by it. I and I'm excited. I you know, and I as you were saying, Andy, that he reportedly has one more Bond in his. Uh, contract. I hope he comes back and does it. It is listed as you know Bond twenty five announced. Uh, with him in it, I I hope they give us one more because that feels like as hearing you say that and describe <laughs> describe the you know <laughs> the the potential outcome of one more Bond movie is the final shaping of Daniel Craig into the the Bond that we grew up with, uh, and that would be really cool. That would make it all much more rewarding and all the speculation worth it. I think again, as much as I enjoyed Spectre. I, with all of these issues that I do have with it, I really do hope he comes back for one more because I, I feel like it would be better to go out on a stronger note than this film. Well, true, but how? Can, where do they go, right? I mean, my, my concern, the, the well, things that I like least about the story is that character drama and the fact that they, led, they left Blofeld alive. Aren't they just going to play on that note again? Well, they don't have to. I mean, because sure I mean, not. Well, yeah, because I mean, the Blofeld stories with Spectre, I mean, they were sometimes spaced out over the over the history of of Blofeld popping in and out of the films. Sure. And I feel like this would be the opportunity to just do a kind of a one-off and just actually go back to the, the older style of bond and just have a, a story. I mean, sure they could throw in an element or two if they really felt they needed to, but I'd love to see them just do kind of a one-off that doesn't necessarily feel like it had to tie into them. Uh, it'll be interesting because I think there would be people that would, uh, I think there would be an equal amount of, of praise and criticism for that. Uh, but I, I you know, it, with them leaving him alive and, and seeing that if they are going to do that with 25, that's, that would be interesting to me. I, the, the people that I've seen them, tossing around for the names the one that i thought was interesting is that people have been said uh, idris elba mm-hmm. yes which yeah, i think is really interesting and the, and the fact that people are talking about that like obviously there's something new that they're looking at if that's the, the case and and i think uh, interestingly uh, the rock also has been no really <laughs> no i just wanted to see what would happen oh, good. <laughs> i'd love to hear his accent that's pretty good that's um, awesome Let's talk just uh, briefly about the the iconic opening song slash sequence. This was actually uh, Andy posted this, but it was it was high on my list once I saw the first tentacle embrace the silhouette. <laughs> that I knew we would have to talk about this. I loved the uh, the image of the octopus all through that whole open. I thought it was brilliant, especially how it ties into Spectre. And uh, of course, you know, I wish that they that it was in there more in the film, but in the open, it was just, it was glorious. I don't think the song itself is as good as Skyfall, but I still enjoyed the song. I thought it worked fine um, by, was it Sam Smith, right? Yeah, yes. Sam Smith. It was a great, I mean, I I, I, I always enjoy the opening sequences and I, I don't know if I've enjoyed any of them as much as really kind of the old ones, the old school ones. But, um, but this one I thought was, um, may have been my, I'm trying to remember. Skyfall might still be my favorite of the opening song sequences, but this is up there. 
The sequence is great. I agree with you, Andy. I wish they had more Spectre, and that's a bigger story issue to talk about. But I, I think if they would have tapped into either the metaphor or the imagery or anything more in the story, I would have liked it more. And that kind of fuels my praise for the opening sequence because I think that, again, goes to that that bit of novelty that I really appreciate from the old Bonds, and, and I would have liked more of that in the story. There have been four guys who have done all of them, essentially, right? I mean, since, cool. since the beginning. Maurice Binder, Robert Brown, John, uh, and Robert Brown, John did, goodness, Goldfinger, You Only Live Twice, Under Magic, all the way through License to Kill. Uh, Daniel Kleinman took him over for Goldeneye, Tomorrow Never Dies, World Is Not Enough, Die Another Day, and Casino Royale, and uh, back to, uh, through Quantum of Solace was a, a, that was done by a a different outfit, Uh, and then Skyfall was Daniel Kleinman. I think this was also Daniel Kleinman. I thought the uh, I thought the octopus unfortunately made me think a little bit too much of Ed Wood. Oh, really? Yeah, that's a it was strange connection. It was a little bit uh, jiggly. You know what I mean? Like when he was jiggly? in the, you know, when he was in the in the lake, he said, "Make the make it go like this, shake it like this." <laughs> I, thought, so I kind of imagined that kind of direction, but uh, otherwise, I thought it was very dramatic. I thought it was too big in some cases, and it just made it look a little bit comical. Uh, the song for me was uh, f- uh, f- not memorable. Uh, but there are only a couple of them that are in Bond history, and unfortunately, they're like the the sappiest of the ballads. Really, uh, for your eyes only. Oh my it's God, great. please! I, I love them all. Uh, uh, <laughs> never say never again. Um, those are the ones that get me. And of course, Live and Let Die, uh, which is credited, I think, to Paul McCartney and Wings. Yes, yes, uh, which is. is good for Wings. My favorite is A View to a Kill. I think, I don't know why people don't talk about oh, that. Oh, no, you're right. That's that great. A, I love that's a good to one. Kill. That's yeah. a good one. There is a wonderful, wonderful feature I'll put in the show notes 50 years of main title design over at our very favorite, artofthetitle.com. And I will put a link in there because it's worth checking out. The title sequences are, uh, they have, as, as he says in his write up here, they have become a genre unto themselves. And that is uh, worth checking out. Uh, as we. Uh, come down to close to the end here. Uh, we have another thing to talk about the music, uh, the score of the music. Andy, as likely the biggest fan of scores, what'd you think? I, uh, I mean, I, I liked it. I think Thomas Newman does fine job with, uh, with the Bond films, but you know, David Arnold, I thought had, it was such a great follow up to John Barry. I really liked what he was doing with the Bond films. And I, you know, I don't know if it was, uh, just kind of a, a Sam Mendes thing. Uh, I know he's kind of attached at the hip with Thomas Newman as far as his films go. Um, and uh, bringing him in, you know, that's that's great. But I, I really would have liked um, more David Arnold to kind of continue the thread. Um, but, you know, I, I'm okay with uh, Thomas Newman and what he does here because I think he's a great composer. I'm with you. And I, I think that uh, what's interesting about Thomas Newman and I – his rendition of the Bond theme, um, I think, is is one of the very best from from Skyfall. I mean, I really enjoyed that variation on on the iconic Bond theme. I think it was really cool, uh, and it's one I actually listened to. And so uh, I was mm-hmm. pleased to for, with the music in this one. Um, there, it, it's it, it's not a terribly um, you know, it's not something you put on behind dinner, but it's uh, it, it's pretty good. I'm with you though overall. Um, I, I think I, I prefer some of the older um, scores too. The one that counts for me is is one of the very best was from Thomas Newman. I the thing that I liked about it is that it did feel like it was playing in the room where the action was happening. And I shouldn't say action because it's not during the action sequences that I noticed it as much. It's and, like and Daniel usually, Craig. It's like Bond has a little recorder in his pocket, exactly. <laughs> right? The, especially in the calm moments or the moments where he's sneaking up on something, uh, I, you notice the symphonic uh, sort of. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, addition to it and I think it was done well in that I believed in it there and it wasn't distracting to me it seemed like it was a soundtrack to his spying which uh, which I think is cool I, I saw it in a um, in a living room theater which is uh, a new experience for me that had uh, what felt like rumble seats and so both uh, with all of the sound effects as well I got a little bit of a, a goose with that uh, but in particular the last 
uh, brass hits at the end seemed really bombastic and uh, and proud and wonderful in this one, which harkens back to like the Goldfinger stuff, which I really liked. Oh, that's really cool. I can't believe you. They have rumble seats. Oh well, <laughs> really? It, it's a, it's a great feeling. We uh, we actually, as long as we're talking about how we saw it, um, we did not see. There was no. I don't think it was an Atmos thing. We didn't see it in Atmos. We didn't see it in 3D or IMAX. Thank God it wasn't uh, released in 3D, as far Woo-hoo! as I know. It was released in IMAX, though it was not shot with IMAX cameras. Uh, We saw it uh, also in the the great big giant theater. This was the first time that I had done. I we had gone and decided with intention we're going to go to a skybox where we where we reserve seats and we order lunch. And so I also ate uh, dill and sea salt encrusted uh, uh, French fries with my Mm. half pound uh, grilled hamburger which was delicious <laughs> and refills <laughs> unlimited refills of root beer they just kept coming and oh, right. they right to the plate with an ottoman that I could actually move it was not part of the ch- that was that was like amazing my hats off to Cinetopia Vancouver that was amazing the service was <laughs> I've never said this about a movie that the service was impeccable <laughs> uh, that was great so, uh, anybody else see it in anything uh, that matches? Did you have a, a server at your theater? Is I guess the question, or or a gooser, or a gooser? I, I had neither, but I, I did see it in IMAX, and uh, I will say the soundscape was incredibly um, uh, rumbly all the way through. There was <laughs> so much bass during the uh, the explosions, like the um, at the beginning when the building collapses, and then yes. when the bass blows up. Um, at the out in the desert, those two uh, sequences, I mean, were just so loud. I was it was quite thrilling, actually. I, I loved the uh, volume in those. Just in the in the uh, scope of uh, Blofelds, I uh, just wanted to rattle off a few of the people who've played Blofeld. Oh. Uh, Donald Pleasance, he was, was the of course the best. Uh, the first that we actually saw. Uh, then there's Telly Savalas, Charles Gray, Max von Sydow, who uh, was the uh, not non-canonical one, and then Christoph Waltz. Um, and I will say, Donald Pleasance is still my favorite. Did you guys see it? I mean, did you know that it was Blofeld before uh, before you saw the film? No, Mm-mm. I did. No, I did not. You didn't. Did you at any point before the reveal did it hit you that this was going to be Blofeld? It didn't really. I mean, he certainly was wearing that kind of uh, that Nehru jacket that feels very uh, Blofeld, but um, but it didn't strike me as that. So I I don't know. I, I guess once uh, once it got to the reveal, I was like, oh, of course it is. I had read a couple of of reviews from some Brits uh, talking about it, and this was before that. It was they weren't reviews; they were it was speculation, uh, and they said we think we think that it's probably Blofeld. And I don't know what that was based on if they actually knew or had some sort of insider tip. So I went in knowing already it was Blofeld, but or or at least thinking it was Blofeld uh, when they kept cutting to the cat. Mm. Well, uh, once you saw I the thought cat, that, that locked it. Yeah, sure, mm. that locked it for sure. The um, it was revealed in the Sony uh, email leaks. Oh, yeah. So maybe they knew for so sure. Yeah. yeah so that's where some people may have figured it. That's out. right. Yeah, I forgot Spectre was part of the dump. Yeah, yeah. Sheesh. And one thing Chad said about that, I think we could have had so much more of him on screen in general. Um, Absolutely. I would have liked it. And it, it, because there wasn't as much of him on screen, he felt like underwritten. He felt like he yeah. didn't have much stuff to do. And I, and I like those other Blofelds that you're talking about, even Max von Sydow, who's not exactly part of, you know, the universe that we're talking about here. I just feel like they had more to do. And you shouldn't do that to Christoph Waltz. He's too good. One does not simply do that to Christoph Waltz. Yeah, <laughs> stimmt. <laughs> oh, all right. I, uh, it, do we... Uh, Andy, have you looked at how it has done now that it is opened in the U.S. as of this weekend? Uh, what I found, yeah, it looks like um, this weekend, it's 73 million here in the U.S., so it's a pretty handsome open. I think they're estimating something in the 80s, so it's not quite hitting their expectations, but, I mean, 73 million is 73 million. And uh, that makes for a whole worldwide growth so far of 153 million. So it's wow. it's had a good run so far. Wow. Both theaters that I uh, went to this weekend had huge lines for it. Yeah. I think we should uh, probably rank it. 
we're going to go to flickchart.com slash tnrfilmboard. And if you're doing, like so many others before you have done, you are signing up for an account, and you are going to visit the TNR Film Board account, and you're going to just start ranking the movies that are on our list. You can do that. You can just rank the movies that are on our list, add them to your list, and, and uh, let us know. How'd we do? Are we, uh, do? are we in violent agreement? Mm. We'd like to hear. There we go. Andy? All right. Spectre. Or The Bourne Legacy, another one of a series where they brought in a new, uh, a new actor. Ooh. Ooh. Spectre. Yeah, I'm going to go Spectre. Yeah, Spectre for me. Yeah, Chad? Spectre. Spectre. Spectre or World War Z? Yeah, it's going to have to be World War Z. World War Z. Yeah, World I War hate Z. to see that on the second one, but really. Yeah. Yeah, World War Z. Uh, Spectre or Avengers Age of Ultron? I will do oh, Spectre. Spectre. I'll do Spectre. Spectre. Wow. I really thought there was going to be some Avengers fans here. Uh, Spectre or Jurassic World? Spectre. Spectre. I didn't see Jurassic World. So I guess Spectre? Or, or I guess <laughs> Jurassic <laughs> you, you, World? <laughs> I'm going to go with Jurassic World. <laughs> I would... Gosh, I'm a little torn. But you, it's... Uh, yeah, it doesn't Chad's, actually matter. Chad's, yeah, yeah. yeah, it doesn't matter. So Spectre it is. Spectre or Ant-Man? Spectre. I like Ant-Man. Mm, I'm, I'm waiting for Andy to speak. I think I'm going to say Spectre. I mean, yeah. I, I, I'll probably go Spectre because it's Bond, but uh, Ant-Man is awfully fun. Awfully, awfully fun. Yeah. It is. Super fun. You All don't right, have to well, that, feel bad about it. I don't feel that bad about it. But uh. <laughs> All right. We're at number 11 out of 40. It's pretty good. That is pretty good. Yeah, but we have uh, we have as a as a gang we've reviewed some terrible movies. What we was have. That? We know that. One. Number one is Gravity. Still, yeah, really. I reviewed that one with you guys. That's right. That's your legacy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Glad that's still. Yeah. It's <laughs> yeah. kind of a whimper. Yeah. Uh, this has been good, gents. We want to let's go around and just give final final thoughts. Should people be racing out to see this movie uh, this weekend, and why, Andy? Final st- thoughts, and uh, let's have everyone also give their star rating or letterboxed letterboxd.com slash the next reel. I'm glad you're here. I had a, a really fun time with this movie. I, again, I have a lot of problems with it, more problems than I've had with um, any other of the Daniel Craig. Bond films. In fact, of the four, this would probably be at the bottom of my list. But I, I and I am one of those people who actually really enjoys Quantum of Solace. Um, but I still had a lot of fun with it. I, I really enjoy just Bond stuff, and I can look over a lot of the problems that I have, even though some of these problems. I I am curious how this one will hold up on multiple viewings as I kind of watch Bond films again, if this is one that I will end up putting in less because of some of that character stuff that ends up happening um, as we get to the latter part of the film. The action sequences are fantastic. We didn't even talk about Dave Bautista as Hinks. I thought oh, he was yes. a great, a great uh, henchman. I really enjoyed him. Uh, I loved how he was always smiling. And um, yeah, Even I mean, more of his thumbs, though. We saw the yes, thumbs first, and yes, then they just we went did. away. Uh, we did. We did need more of his thumbs. Um, but yeah, all in all, I had a great time uh, despite its uh, inadequacies. And your star rating? I'd say, I, I think I'm at three, three and a half, I think. Three and a half. All right. Chad? I'd have to give it a two star rating. I didn't feel this change. I mean, I, when I look at when I look at Casino Royale, and I, I just the feelings and everything that, that that movie brought to the table for me, and seeing these others, and I understand, you know, not everything's going to be one particular movie or, you know, it's not going to be Skyfall. It's not going to be. But for this one, I think it did it. There were so many things that said, good, oh, bad, oh, good, oh, bad. Like, I felt like that through the whole film. Oh, this is good. This is nice. This scene's good. This scene's bad. You know, and it just felt like this, and it didn't feel like it was a consistent feeling of good, you know, for me. And so, to me, it just didn't seem like a James Bond movie that I kind of bought into. And like Batista, I thought he was amazing. Yeah, we didn't talk enough about him. Amazing. I thought he was a good, solid bad guy that, you know, I was like, he's going to come in like a truck and, you know, how is James Bond going to deal with him? Also, I just felt like this is the, probably the only James Bond where I felt like in throughout the movie, 
And Daniel Craig, I love Daniel Craig and James Bond too. I do, I really do. I just felt in this one, he, I, I felt like there were scenes that he he was in it, and other scenes I didn't feel like he was in it. And so, um, yeah, I think I give it a two. I just, it just wasn't everything. It did have amazing mm. scenes, but it just wasn't everything. It didn't carry through. Sad too. JJ, I really like the movie. I think people should definitely go out and see it as long as they know what they're getting into. And the things about it is, is go to see it for the action. Go to see it for the great camera work. Uh, but I've had people ask me since I saw it, and I saw it Friday, do I need to have seen the other movies to see it? Which I think is a point that we've kind of made, right? This is the first time I've seen a Bond movie where I think you might want to actually look at those last three. I'm really glad Andy talked about its place in the Craig, Daniel Craig's run, where it is for him, because I hadn't thought about it in terms of that either. And it's, it's probably number three for me, um, but closer to the bottom too. So again, it's a great fun movie and a great action movie. Also know that it's really, really long. <laughs> it was a super long movie. I didn't leave the theater until 1.30 in the morning. Um, yes. I, I give it a three and a 3.5 as well. 3.5. I, um, I, maybe it's because I saw it during the day and not you lot who decided to go to the overnight show. Um, but <laughs> I, I think I enjoyed it definitely still. Even after this conversation, I enjoyed it more than you. Um, I... I feel like uh, it was great fun. Um, the I, I'm so glad you brought up Dave Batista again. He uh, was woefully underused. I could have just I could have seen him again and again and again and really been happy. He was great. Um, and the fight uh, between the two of them, uh, knowing already that Daniel Craig's Bond is a big brutish thug of a man. Uh, to be so uh, out-masculined by Dave Batista on the train was <laughs> delightful. Was it was that so was awesome. Like, that was such a okay. highlight. Um, so that was that you know, was masculine the sum of the men in the theater. And, and the train itself, actually. <laughs> uh, so it, it was great. Uh, I had a great time. Uh, apart from the things that made me uh, groan and uh, get very, very angry at the screen, those were brief. They were quick. They were, he was pulling off a Band-Aid, and I was able to move back into it. So I thought it was great. Uh, I do think you need to see it. And the, the bigger the screen you can see it on, the better. I don't know if IMAX is the one. Uh, we certainly saw it on the biggest non-IMAX screen we could get and had a blast. Uh, it, it was wonderful. Uh, I, would, I would also, though, give it three and a half stars. It's still not quite a four-star movie for me. But it's a more enthusiastic three and a half stars. I think that's it. Do we have any other news to report for the people as we wrap up? I think that's it, other than our next film board is going to be the big uh, Star Wars next month. We all have tickets, right? Everybody have tickets? No. Oh. I got to get mine. Oh, guys. It's okay. I know a guy. (laughs) (laughs) I know a guy. Star Wars Wars ticket guy. That's good. Everybody's got a guy. Uh, Thank you, everybody, for joining us. Chad Stoops, welcome back. Uh, I'm so glad you were able to join us for this conversation. I I loved it. I did. I loved it. I think I'll have to see this James Bond again. I think I just left on a sour note. I should go see it again. You You guys all loved it so much. I feel like I must have missed. You you should. You should do that. Justin Yeager, thank you, sir. It's good to hear your uh, voice again. Thanks. Always a pleasure. And Andy Nelson, my friend. We'll talk soon. Talk to you on Thursday. Here on the film board, we have covered quite a variety of great page-to-screen adaptations over the years, from superheroes like Christopher Nolan's The Dark Knight Rises, based on stories like Nightfall and The Dark Knight Returns, to horror and sci-fi like Max Brooks's World War Z and Hiroshi Sakazuraka's All You Need Is Kill, which became one of our favorites, Edge of Tomorrow, with Tom Cruise and Emily Blunt. And who could forget Andy Weir's stranded astronaut adventure, The Martian, or Dave Eggers' tech thriller, The Circle? Supposedly so much better than the movie. We've also explored Stephen King epics like The Dark Tower and It, biopics like Damien Chazelle's First Man, and sweeping sagas like Denny Villeneuve's take on Frank Herbert's Dune. And don't forget Martin Scorsese's Killers of the Flower Moon, based on David Grant's nonfiction book about the 1920s murders of the Osage Nation. I just finished the book, and it's fantastic. It's always fascinating to look at the source material, and we often do as the book lovers we are. 
For those of you out there who love to do the same, head to thenextreel.com slash originals to find all of our past episodes and dive deeper into these adapted stories. And it's not just stories. We've included things like the video games Uncharted and Detective Pikachu. That's right. TheNextReel.com slash originals is your one-stop shop for in-depth looks at the sources for cinematic adaptations that we have discussed. Every purchase you make supports the film board and The Next Reel's family of shows. So what are you waiting for? Head to TheNextReel.com slash originals and get your next read today. (laughs) 